on this week's episode of the Classic Match Classroom, Kurt Angle. I don't plan on resting in peace. I plan on breaking your ankle in pieces. Versus The Undertaker. You will rest in peace. The following contest is for the World Heavyweight Championship. WWE. No way out. Ladies and gentlemen, this is no in session. Your attention, please. Your teacher has a rule. School is cool. Attention, everybody. Quiet down. You there in the back. Put that cigarette out. Oh. Little mean Gene over there. <laughs> Welcome everybody back to the classic match classroom. I am your professor, Tyler Wolf. I am joined as always by the prodigy, Mr. Anthony Cerulli. Anthony, what's good, my friend? Damn it, Sherry! I'm freezing in here. I'm in my, my school studio right now and it is cold as hell, 45 degrees, but we're still growing strong for the classic match classroom. I'm doing great, Professor. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Uh, another person who might have felt cold could be Kurt Angle watching The Undertaker's entrance. Get Ooh, those chills going. I love it. I love the little reference. Always one at the beginning of the episode. We always do I a great one. have to. We're cheesy. Have to. We're yeah, cheesy. Little, just a little bit. <laughs> I'm old. I make dad jokes. It's my thing. <laughs> uh, as you guys can see, we are going to be talking all about Kurt Angle versus The Undertaker from No Way Out 2006. I think, in my opinion, this is one of the lost treasures in the long, fantastic history of great matches in the WWE. Oh, for sure. And I definitely got a, a good appreciation for this match after I saw it. But, you know, you always hear the legend about, you know, The Undertaker and Kurt Angle, how this was a great match, uh, even with it not being so long ago. It was 2006. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, this is a match that a lot of people forget about, something that I have never seen. I even said on last week's episode, you know, I've always seen this in my recommended on YouTube, but I've never gone full in on it. And uh, I was happy that we did this week because, boy, oh, boy, are we in for a good one. Yeah, and you know, let me uh, let me start you off before we even get into anything with a little pop quiz here. Ooh, all right. Uh, not even, not really a pop quiz, but more of a, um, an opinion essay question style thing. Okay, going yeah, an essay here. Oh man. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm not. I just play the part. I'm not really that smart. Okay. <laughs> so we've got the Undertaker versus Kurt Angle one month, maybe two months before WrestleMania 22. Now, obviously, WrestleMania 22 was headlined with Rey Mysterio winning the Royal Rumble with Kurt Angle and Randy Orton. The Undertaker fought Mark Henry, and we had Triple H and John Cena mm. as your marquee matches there, as well as Edge and McFoley, a couple other big matches. Do you think that they should have done this match at WrestleMania? Um, I mean, here's what it comes down to for me, because when I was watching this, I definitely thought, why don't you just do this? on the biggest stage a month later but the fact is if they weren't able to come up with a longer story for angle and taker i guess management or events or whoever else must have felt that it's not as much of a story for mania as it was a match 
And, uh, you know, we'll talk about it uh, once we get into this episode that the build really isn't a lot. You have a few segments, uh, a few matches, but only a, really just a few things that you need to know before you get into this match. So I think the name value alone sold the match. Mm. There's different ways you can look at it. I think that it should have been at Mania just because it was a great match. But at the end of the day, I can see why they kept it off. If you weren't going to have that Mania-esque story behind it, you might as well just do it at the show before so that you could keep all the big stories towards your Mania. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I think they were putting their big storyline into Rey Mysterio, obviously, this year with the honoring yeah, of Guerrero. Uh, I think that's why you kind of got the quick build to this one. I think, and 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 let me know what you think, and we'll get into this obviously later when we when we start talking about it. Mm-hmm. I think if this match happened at WrestleMania, that people would be talking about this as one of the greatest matches in the history of the WWE. Sure, absolutely. That's like saying, you know, if Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker happened at Elimination Chamber uh, instead of WrestleMania, you know, that would uh, be one of the more underrated matches of all time. Absolutely. If you put this on the grand stage, people would be talking about this uh, uh, for years. It would be in that upper echelon of, you know, your Taker and Shawn and uh, even Taker and Angle, uh, excuse me, uh, Shawn and Angle. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, usually I ask you what you know about the build here, but I think we pretty much just covered all that now. So what do you think, man? Are you ready to get into the lesson? Ring the bell, or ring the gong, rather, because class is in session. I do always love when we have Undertaker on because it's this, you know, this is like a different dynamic of the Undertaker now because we covered some stuff from 97 with him, with the dead man. Mm-hmm. And now you're getting, you know, kind of the Undertaker, which you probably grew up on, right? Yeah. This, this would be it. Yeah. And, and of course, you've got the wrestling machine, Kurt Angle. So let's um, let's kind of paint a picture here. We're at the Royal Rumble uh, 2006. Kurt Angle has just defeated Mark Henry. And he's celebrating his win in the ring. And all of a sudden, The Undertaker rides out on like a chariot, like a little (laughs) horse and buggy or whatever. And he motions that he wants the belt. He's calling his shot. He's calling out Kurt Angle. And then he does his little mythical Undertaker powers and the lightning and the whole ring falls apart. Very Undertaker-esque here. Gotta love it. The hokiness of The Undertaker, but it always works. I love to have Michael Cole as a team together. Although I always do find it really forced when WWE announcers are like, holy shit. (laughs) I love Taz throughout this entire, not just the segment, but this whole feud. I think this is the first time that I'm hearing Taz on commentary um, because we saw him in the uh, 97 ECW invasion uh, a few episodes back. Go check in the archives for that one, folks. Yeah. 
but this is the first time that I'm hearing him on. Oh no, uh, we we heard him in uh, Eddie and Brock as well. Uh, so this is the second time that I'm hearing Taz, and <laughs> I love him in this segment because he is just utterly confused as to what is going on the whole time. What the? Where the? What? He's gonna check. What? What is going on here? <laughs> like, holy he's, shit! Holy shit! He's phenomenal in this segment. He would have made a great guest at the White Castle of Fear uh, oh, party as well, eh? <laughs> Wait, what? Vader? Vader? What? <laughs> Holy shit, it's Vader! <laughs> Play the game! What game are we playing? <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's a height joke to be made there, but I'm going to leave it. I'm going to nah, leave it. Right, I'm going to leave it. I love, that <laughs> I love Taz. I love Taz. Let's let's move on to the next point here. So we're going to have a promo from Hala Hala, Mr. Teddy Long. Ooh. Uh I love, by the way, how Teddy Long always says the Undertaker's name. <laughs> like, I just, it's so unique. Um, so he's going to make the match official. Uh, Taker's been off TV since December, Anthony. Do you think that he has done enough to earn a title shot by beating Randy Orton at Hell in a Cell? Or does just the fact that he's the Undertaker give him the pass to just walk out there in motion with his hands that I get a title shot? Um, so when did, uh, sorry, when did you say The Undertaker beat Randy? He would, he'd probably been off TV about three weeks, uh, give or take three or four weeks. Um, I, I think that's fine. I mean, especially for a pay-per-view before Mania in story, I guess they're just banking on the fact that it's, you know, The Undertaker and, uh, all that. But when it comes down to it, like him beating Randy Orton in what was, I, I'm pretty sure it was a very long feud. Um, I, I feel like that's enough to to uh, make him a contender for Kurt's title, especially since um, Randy would go on to face Kurt for the World Heavyweight Championship. So this really gives him a, a good shot here. Yeah, and you know what? Even if Taker didn't have that great program with Orton, just walking out and motioning for the belt, he's the Undertaker. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Guys paid his dues. <laughs> what do you think? We got something for Teddy Long here? Or? Of course we do. Holla, holla. Here we go. Last Sunday night, the Royal Rumble was full of surprises. Now, the Undertaker surprised Kurt Angle after a successful title defense against Mark Henry and made an official challenge. Therefore, at No Way Out, we will see one of the biggest matches in the history of SmackDown. For the World Heavyweight Championship, Kurt Angle versus The Undertaker! Oh my god! The Undertaker! I love it. God, I love Teddy Long. I got a question for the professor. More of an opinion question. But do you feel that... um, Because nowadays you really only have... Uh, in current wrestling, I guess Adam Pierce, Sonya Deville are the authority figures. They're not even really commissioned, whatever. Um, and on AEW, there's really no authority presence outside of Tony Khan's announcements or whatever it may be. Do you feel that the general manager is uh, a worn out concept or you think that it could still work? Um, I think it is worn out, but I do think there is a way to still do it. And I'm going to do a throwback to my childhood. WWF president, Jack Tunney, or Gorilla Monsoon. They weren't on TV every week, and they didn't need to be on TV every week. But there is certain times when you need an authority figure out there. I don't want to see, you know, 
the the Teddy Long on TV every week as a GM because like it takes away from the product. But mm-hmm. you know, when you have Gorilla Monsoon come out and make an announcement, or or when Jack Tunney used to come on TV from his office, you're like, oh man, something's going on. Right. And it was always like, I have stripped Andre the Giant of the world title, or I we will declare a tournament at WrestleMania four. Like every time Jack Tunney was on TV, what he said had impact to it. So I, well, I, I would like to see a throwback maybe. It's in the same light as I guess I could talk about my childhood, if you will. Uh, William Regal in NXT. You know, yeah. he's another guy that would only I come out. I thought he was absolutely perfect. He would only come out for a you know announcement of a new signing, like a Nakamura versus Zayn, or of, of course the War Games, or that whatever, was the whatever, best one, whatever it may be. But you know, you only saw him every once in a while. The only thing that I will say, and since we're on the topic of Teddy Long, is I think the general manager works being in the story when you have a talent that's really great. Because for me, Teddy Long is one of the greatest general managers of all time just because he played his role so well. Even if his role would be just saying, The Undertaker or a tag team match. This match is going to be a triple threat tag team match. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I mean, every time he did that, it was so great. So. I will give Teddy Long the pass here. I think he was absolutely phenomenal in this role. Uh, even the limited amount that we saw him in this build, you know, growing up with Teddy Long, I thought he was one of the best GMs of all time. And uh, also apparently one of the cheapest men of all time, if you ask JBL. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different story. Yeah. Uh, we're going to hear from The Undertaker now. And, and Taker basically says that Kurt Angle has what he desires. Kurt comes out immediately, gets right in Taker's face. I thought Kurt Angle cut such a great promo here. Uh, he compared both the guys for, you know, being like their dominance. Uh, he says when the bell rings that they have one thing in common, he doesn't have a soul either. Mm-hmm. And when the bell rings, he doesn't plan on resting in peace. He plans on breaking his ankle in pieces. <laughs> I thought Kurt hit a home run here. And then, of course, Undertaker shows him a little bit of respect before he does his magical power. Uh, very cool segment here. And looking at us, we obviously don't have a lot in common. Except for one very crucial thing. When that bell rings, I don't have a soul either. I'm just as unrelenting and unforgiving as you are. And in no way out, I don't plan on resting in peace. I plan on breaking your ankle in pieces. Wow. No doubt your intentions are truthful. But there's one reality not even you can escape. At no way out, you will rest in peace. Man, what do you think of that, Anthony? Love this promo. Did a great job in, uh, like we've been saying, in a short build. A promo like this sells your match uh, in as short amount of time as possible. Uh, we talked about how we saw the, a different version of The Undertaker in previous episodes with the, um, you know, more of uh, Undertaker versus Kane, 98, 97, around that time. Um, I think it's just really interesting that now you're starting to see this more modern Undertaker. And I talked about this in the previous uh, episode with Taker and that, you know, in that uh, rivalry with Kane, he was delivering a lot more lengthy, uh, wordy promos, you know, really going in depth with them. Here, 
and what we would see in this modern version of The Undertaker, very more along the lines of, I guess, for lack of a better term, one-liners, you know, just a very short, to the point, gonna fight you with your soul rest in, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, very short, to, but, you know, I love both versions when he's breaking down his opponents with his words, but at the same time, letting his actions do the talking uh, and delivering those lines that stick with you. I think that's really what comes down to the undertaker and his promos is that he gives you at least one line that you can hold on to. And that'll kind of be the story of the, uh, of the feud going forward. So mm. really love this. And uh, if I could say something on angle, like, he just has this explosive delivery to him. He comes out, he's fucking puffed out, you know, just marching to the ring with a purpose. And he's just up in Taker's face, just screaming at him. Love the line uh, about he has no soul in the ring, just like The Undertaker. Uh, really just shows that he's determined to break Taker's ankle. You know, it's pretty crazy. Like, I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head here, looking at this time period. Like, to me, Kurt Angle, I think, was the best wrestler in the world during mm -hmm. this period. Uh, you know, all around, all around package with with his promo work, his in ring work, his believability, um, and then you look at the Undertaker. The Undertaker has only been back as the Dead Man for a couple of years here, but he's about to go on just a tear of some of the best in ring work of his career. Also, you know, starting back at last year's WrestleMania mm -hmm. with Randy Orton, and then he goes in, you know, uh, with Kurt Angle. He does his matches with Batista coming forward over the next couple of years, the Shawn Michaels stuff, the Triple H stuff. Both these guys really were on a, a prime time of their career uh, heading into this match. I mean, I would go as far as to say that Undertaker, when you're talking about the greatest wrestlers of the 2000s or even the late 2000s, I feel like Undertaker is a very underrated candidate for that because a lot of people will bring up his uh, 90s run. And of course, I'm uh, of the belief that the best Undertaker was right at his debut uh, with everything with uh, the funeral parlor and all, all that. Um, but honestly, I love this version of The Undertaker. I think that he makes a case for one of the best wrestlers of the 2000s simply because of this run that he starts uh, pretty much at No Way Out, or I, I would say in, in 2005 with Randy Orton having those great matches going forward uh, with Sean, with Edge, with uh, Angle. You know, I think he makes a pretty good case here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, another thing, too, if you want to just throw a little bit more respect on The Undertaker's name, especially towards the end of the run here. This guy was only working one day a year, yeah, maybe two days a year, totally. And he was still delivering high caliber matches up until pretty much, pretty much the end. He, there's a couple little, you know, but um, to to only work one day a year and to get yourself into the ring shape because ring shape is a real thing. Like yeah. you gotta obviously he's going into the Hall of Fame this year for a reason. I hope he's the only person going in this year. Same Solo here. induction, I yeah, know. absolutely. He deserves it totally. And that's going to take us to, well, a preview of WrestleMania 22. We're, we're foreshadowing here. Undertaker versus Mark Henry. Uh, we don't get much of it. Eminem does a run out for the... Oh, yeah, there we go. And our friend Jimmy Corderas is the referee there. Oh, big shout, big out. shout out. To, big shout out to Jimmy. Uh, not much of here. Uh, Eminem does a run out to, for the DQ. Kurt Angle comes out and makes the save. Uh, the Undertaker and Kurt Angle clear the ring together. Taker gives Angle his belt, kind of just throws it down at him as, after like a long stare down between the two. But wait, holla holla, our boy Jonah's boy, <laughs> Teddy Long coming out, making it a handicap tag team match. Shout Classic. out, shout out Jonah. Shout yeah, out Jonah. Shout out. We'll give Jonah a lot of great out. stories on that, uh, <laughs> on that interview. Yeah, you know, this was another I 
I watched this match and I just thought to myself, like, why would you put Mark Henry in this spot at Mania? Like, just a pre- you had a full preview of what you would be getting here, and uh, you decide to go with Mark Henry. And apparently, he was, uh, uh, I mean, not supposed to, but like he was in contention to break the streak. Did am I am I wrong on that? I've heard that about a few people around this time period, but. Uh... I think they made the right call by not having Mark Henry. Oh, yeah. I think that's (laughs) that's that's pretty safe to say, right? Yeah. That's pretty safe to say. Uh, Question for the professor. Is there any reason why uh, Eminem was working with uh, Mark Henry and Davari at this point? Uh, Probably just needed to fill TV would be my guess. I don't think there was anything that was kind of triggering it. I think there was just... Maybe they were doing something with Kurt Angle. I'm trying to remember this time period, but... Just needed I, a tag team to go up against. They just needed a handicap match, and and let's put Eminem in there because they're workhorses, right? Yeah, sounds good. I also wanted to say I love the move, <laughs> the reversal of the double, double Irish whip uh, from Eminem onto The Undertaker. He kind of like, uh, you know, goes around, turns him, and uh, knocks them into each other. Great little segment there. Absolutely, yeah. This was this was pretty good, and we get a fun little tag match set up for the next week. Uh, we got our fun little handicap match here with the Kurt Angle. Uh, he gets the win with the ankle lock, and he starts like bragging in Taker's face after, which I thought this was really cool. You know, he's like, ah, "I got the win, whatever." And then Taker kind of looks like he's about to choke slam Angle, but really he's saving him from Mark Henry. He grabs him by the throat, stares Angle down, choke slams Mark Henry. Then the Undertaker looks at Angle and he calls for the tombstone, and Kurt Angle is just laughing at him like there is no chance that you are going to pick up Mark Henry and hit him with the tombstone. And all of a sudden, The Undertaker just scoops him up, nails Mark Henry with a beautiful tombstone, and Kurt Angle's facial expressions were so good here. He went from, you know, laughing and having a good time to just being like, oh, shit. I gotta, <laughs> I'm going to be fighting this guy. And then the two go face-to-face, nose-to-nose as the show goes off the air. Perfect way to set up a feud. Perfect way to set up a match, rather. Uh you know, you had. I was really interested to see if Taker was going to pull off that uh, that tombstone. Uh, I, I thought maybe they would let Angle get the momentum going into the pay per view. Maybe he like picks, puts him up, and you know, like too much weight or whatever. But he gets him up and he gives him a good ass pile driver. Um, and that's how you end the show. Angle is scared of the Undertaker. He realizes what he's about to go up against this Sunday at No Way Out. And uh, you knew right then and there that it was going to be a damn good match. Absolutely. Kurt Angle versus The Undertaker at No Way Out. Anthony, what are your thoughts on the build here before we get into this match? You know, simple. Uh, There wasn't a lot that you could really uh, call out here. Um, It's very different to Eddie and Brock, uh, which was another very uh, simple, short build. Uh, I think it's interesting that this was also right before WrestleMania uh, in that ruthless aggression era that you get another short build here. Um, Again, I don't think that having a short build is necessarily bad, uh, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit more. And I think that's just telling as to why it wasn't a WrestleMania match. If you can't get I'm sure you could have gotten some story out of it. It's just The Undertaker and Kurt Angle. It's a streak like whatever. Uh, But I, I guess Kurt versus Undertaker was Better held off here, I guess. Maybe maybe to put more of a spotlight on it. Uh, I'm sure they felt that the Mania card already was a little too stacked. Um, so they kind of held the the, the match for a, uh, a smaller pay-per-view. That's, that's the only thing that I could really think of. Um, but nevertheless, 
I'm going to give this uh, feud a B minus, and that's not to say that it's bad, but I think it's just it wasn't enough to really give it that high of a rating. I know that I gave uh, Eddie and Brock around an A, uh, but that was really because of those promos, and we only got one of these promos here. Um, if you got maybe one or two more, maybe we'd be talking a little bit differently, but I think a B minus, maybe even bumping up to a B is a pretty solid rating for this one. Yeah, I'm at about a C plus to a B minus as well. Again, I'm with you. Um, I thought they for for the time that they had, they they did nothing wrong. There was no right. misses at this, but you didn't have that addicted promo like Eddie did. Yeah, there was not that like holy shit moment during this build. It was just steady and good the whole way through. But uh, two points I'll make here. Number one, I know a lot of our prior episodes, we've we've really picked matches that have fantastic, big, long, drawn out builds to it. Mm-hmm. But I like this because this gets to the heart and soul of what this show is all about. This show is called the classic match classroom, mm-hmm. not the classic builds and then yeah. a great match classroom, right? So the, the whole purpose of the show is for a person like you and, and, and on all our other listeners that maybe haven't seen this match, just to get a brief history about what leads up to a classic mm-hmm. match. And this one delivers in every way as far as a classic match goes. 100%. The second point I'll make is, this was kind of the holding pattern that WWE and even to this day are still kind of in with this February pay-per-view. This is the holding pay-per-view. It's the filler pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, short builds get us to WrestleMania, right? Eddie and Brock did the same thing. Uh, a couple of years before this, Kurt Angle and The Rock had the same thing where it's like, oh, shit, we need to get the belt on The Rock for Rock and Austin. Okay, three week build, rock and angle, get them to mania, get a get us to mania. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie and Brock, same thing. It's this is like the okay, we just need to move a couple pieces around, or we got to keep everything the same until mania. It, yeah. It's like the the dewdrop spot in the Royal Rumble this year with Becky Lynch, right? You know, dewdrop. We all knew she wasn't going to win the belt, and now this one is a little different because it's Undertaker, obviously, but it's that holding pattern. Who yeah. you know, someone's got to have that to build the pieces to get to the bigger picture. Well, I was talking about this on Raw Down on the Turnbuckle Tavern, and uh, you know this whole story of, and I'll uh, uh, equate it to modern wrestling. This whole story of Bianca Belair, I knew from the start, and I don't want to get too much off topic here, but I knew from the start that we were going in this direction from SummerSlam. I know everyone had that controversy about the 26 seconds and sure, but I knew that there was a bigger story for Bianca. It was just not being told yet, and I think that's why people need to just wait on the story to be told before critiquing it so much because obviously Bianca was going to be put at the back of the line. It was in August or or September. Uh, You needed a lot of filler in between there. Uh, You can't tell Bianca versus Becky for months. You need those filler feuds like Mm -hmm. a Becky and Dewdrop or Bianca just running through the entire Raw Women's Division, which she did, which makes her stronger for Becky. And then we reach WrestleMania where now we have four weeks to build up to that event. Similar here. You know, Ray was primed, I guess, to be that WrestleMania feel-good moment. Yeah. You needed all the pieces in play. I guess you needed Angle and I, I guess Orton to make that work. Uh, so these little feuds in between, mm-hmm. although they're shorter and they don't really mean a lot and uh, it doesn't equate to the overall story, in a sense, it still does. You just need to let the full story play out. So on this card, Ray Mysterio is putting his WrestleMania title shot on the line against Randy Orton also. Mm-hmm. That uh, they did this really kind of sickening um, angle where Orton was saying that Eddie Guerrero's in hell. I don't know why right. I always look to heaven. Eddie's in hell. Um, just getting back to Bianca Bear really quick before we get in the match. Mm-hmm. Would you have a problem if Bianca came out and beat Becky Lynch at WrestleMania in under a minute? 
Um, yes, because it's WrestleMania. I don't put it on the same stage as SummerSlam, and there's more of a story to be told. I think, you know, getting into a little bit of the story between Becky and Bianca, technically, Becky, uh, excuse me, Bianca wasn't ready for Becky. In essence, she was ready for Sasha. Uh, so it makes sense for it to be a shorter match. Caught her off guard. Now we've had Bianca ready for months. We've had Becky dominant for months. It wouldn't necessarily make sense for it to only be a minute. Fair. I just think it would be a, a, an interesting twist on the story that could lead to months and months of follow-up matches as well. Yeah, you could do that. If you wanted to go on the route of Becky versus Bianca, I think you definitely could do it. I wouldn't waste WrestleMania on that. Maybe you do a smaller pay-per-view, uh, but yeah, it, it could work. Definitely. What a, could better, work. what a better way to make a superstar. Look what it Well, I didn't make Sheamus. I made Daniel Bryan, but they did something similar at WrestleMania with those guys. That's very true. Very but true. But we are not the WrestleMania podcast. We are the Classic <laughs> Match Room classroom. We will be the WrestleMania podcast in uh, a the few next weeks month, yes we'll, we'll, we'll get to that one folks Well, how about I get us to February the 19th, 2006 at the first Mariner Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. Boo, Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> we have your WWE World Heavyweight Champion, Kurt Angle, defending against the Phenom, The Undertaker. Mr. Cerulli, the classroom is all yours. All righty. So uh, I want to break this match down into different segments because I think there's a lot of different stages to this match, and I want to kind of – you know, put some time into each stage. I think this was a really well-built-out match. Before we even get into the first stage, I want to say that there was a lot of, uh, right from the jump, I thought that we were going in the route of a striking versus technical-based match. Uh, right from the jump, you saw uh, Angle going for these technical moves, and Taker was just lightning fast with these strikes. Um, so I thought that's kind of what the story going forward was going to be. I was surprised when we actually entered this first segment of uh, Taker working the left wrist. Uh, to limit the ankle lock. I thought this was a great way to kind of limit Kurt Angle a little bit. You know me. You know I love working the uh, the body parts. Uh, it goes a long way in a match, and it tells a really great story. Um, you know, you have a lot of things. Like, Taker's really the one to slow things down in the early stages. Kurt is very uh, explosive. Uh, Taker is the one to kind of focus on that wrist and really keep things slow. Uh, Kurt even gets frustrated, tries to say explosive, but at the end of the day, it turns against him as Undertaker is still wrenching in that wrist, goes for old school, goes for all these different moves uh, that really keep him in control. Uh, what I think is interesting, though, is that Taker is using a lot of aerial moves, not in just this segment, but in this whole match. And for the most part, except for maybe like one spot, they don't pay off. So you really start to see that although he's doing a lot to put the, the the focus on the wrist, he's going to need to do more if he wants to take full advantage of this match and doing these aerial moves, and he still keeps going to them, was really his flaw in this match. Um, I think it's interesting that we're also going for a lot of big moves early on. Um, I think it's a good story to be told that not a lot of them are paying off due to the fact that there hasn't been a lot of buildup. You know, a, a slow build is what you need, and uh, I think they just want to go at each other and do all these big moves, but I think it's good that not necessarily it's working. Um, so I like that story a lot. This is when we enter the second segment or a second stage of this match, and it's ankle finally targeting the leg. Uh, I, was, I originally wrote in my notes the knee, but eventually he just starts working the entire leg. 
but in this stage, I will just focus on the knee uh, because he just keeps going all in. He does the um, the figure four on the uh, ring post. Uh, does all the I love the segment. Uh, of the match where Taker goes for the leg drop on the apron and he catches his leg and he just locks in that ankle lock on the outside. Beautiful segment here. Um, I like also, there were some minor details here that I really want to point out uh, because I think minor details really make a match go a long way in that Taker kicks out at one while Kurt is still working the leg. What I mean by that is this is the segment where Kurt is you know trying to weaken that ankle, weaken the knee uh, for the eventual ankle lock. But at the same time, he's still going for these pinfalls. And what I think I don't live, I don't love to see in a lot of wrestling is that you'll see wrestlers working body parts, but then they go for a pin uh, when it's not, you know, a, a, you know, a big move or something. When you're working the ankle, of course, Taker's going to kick out because you haven't done enough damage to him. So him kicking out at one, I thought was a perfectly timed kick out here, um, and it makes Kurt see, you know, maybe I'm going to have to do an angle slam or a few more suplexes to really, uh, if I want to pin him. But I think he focuses more on the submission, so we get more of working the leg. Uh, even Cole mentions on uh, commentary, I do want to point out Michael Cole and Taz do a really great job on commentary. Uh, Cole even mentions working the knee to make the ankle lock easier for Angle. thought that was a good call here. From here on out is when we get uh, what I think to be the last stage of the match, and it's really just the explosiveness. You get a lot of big moves here. Um, maybe it comes in a bit too soon. I think this really starts like halfway into the match. I don't mind it. Um, but you know, maybe there should have been a little bit more working, uh, to happen here, but we get it halfway in. I thought, it, I think I was at like the 16 minute mark when we really start getting these big moves. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the point where Kurt does the angle slam into the announce table and Taker's counted out, but uh, Kurt breaks up the count out because he wants to finish it in the ring. Beautiful. It adds to his character uh, of just being this wrestling machine. Um, there was also a brutal spot where uh, Taker throws him into the steel steps to take advantage of the match. But at the same time, Kurt's jaw bounces off the car, uh, the, uh, the, the wooden piece of the announce table or whatever that top piece is yeah. bounced right off of it. I thought that looked great. Um, I don't know if it was planned. I'm sure it wasn't. Um, but just a lot of great stuff here. Um, even in this uh, explosive segment where we're getting all these big moves, you still start to see the wear and tear that the early stages of the matches have done on these big moves, such as the fact that Undertaker hits a really nice big boot, but he's still selling the leg because that's the leg that he, he's been uh, worked on this entire match. And then we get to, I guess this is technically the last stage of the match of just this last final five minutes or so of just sheer insanity, uh, I like to call it. I love this whole segment. This is the perfect way to end off a match um, because for this last, I would say, five minutes, Taker's doing all of his big moves. He's getting a lot of you know choke slams and this, that, and the other thing. And But Kurt Angle still keeps going to the well, and he keeps going for the ankle lock, which I think is very telling. It's working, so you want to keep going to something that is going to work and is going to take your opponent down. So I thought that was perfect. Um, Love that Taker sits up after the angle slam. Uh, it makes sense due to the fact that there's not a lot of damage done on his back. So an angle slam really wouldn't hurt him at this stage in the match. Uh, if anything, that means that Kern Angle needs to keep going for the ankle. So I love that. Um, and then we have, uh, a oh, one last detail before we get to the finish. Angle goes from the angle slam. I think he hits a second one. And he go he's trying to go into another ankle lock. I think he holds the, uh, the ankle. He's trying to hit... Uh, you know, put it on because it would make sense to kind of weaken him 
and then put that ankle lock on again. But Taker immediately turns into Hell's Gate. I think it's really interesting also the amount of times that I've seen Hell's Gate uh, become a signature move in the Undertaker's uh, moveset. There's only calling it the triangle choke. So I guess this is the early stages. It mm -hmm. wasn't deemed the Hell's Gate yet. Um, so those were all of the little details. But when it comes down to it, the finish was a little confusing, but I think it was confusing for the right reason. Obviously, everyone's like, what happened? He got pinned. I would have liked to have seen Angle tap out while he was pinning him because it would have made sense for The Undertaker to be confused. But realistically, from a viewer's standpoint, why would The Undertaker be confused? He was the one that got pinned. It really goes without saying. His shoulders were on the mat. He heard the ref count. Um, so I don't really see why he would be necessarily confused by it. Nevertheless, I don't think that this finish really takes away too much from the match. I think this was a phenomenal story that they told, um, you know, working the leg of the undertaker, working the wrist of Kurt angle. Um, although I would have liked to seen that little early working stages of the match a little bit longer. I think it played its part really well. And that second half of the match, if you're into explosive wrestling, this is the match for you. Um, Definitely tune into those last five minutes if you really want to see a lot of story, a lot of action, um, and really just two legends going at it. So at the end of the day, I'm going to give my grade on this one because I loved, loved this match. I'm going to give it an A. I was considering an A+. The reason why I did not was because of the finish, and there were just some little things that I would change around. But I, I got to give this an A. I think this was a perfect example of how these two guys going at it just putting all, all everything on the table. Uh, they really threw out all of their big moves. They did everything that they needed to do, and they told a damn good story while doing it. So at the end of the day, I'm going to give Undertaker and Kurt Angle a solid A grade. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I don't know now, was it confusion of Undertaker or was it like disbelief? Like, what happened? Did he get me there? Like, was it kind of... Yeah, it could have be been it. a little bit of that. Um, I know... Now, I could be getting this wrong. I know they did a rematch a couple weeks later on SmackDown. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that The Undertaker wins by disqualification because of interference by Mark Henry. But I know these guys did some sort of a finish one time where it was a Hell's Gate and an ankle lock at the same time. And it was a double tap out as well. Oh, okay. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. I might be making that up, but I'm like pretty sure that that happened. Well, they were selling for a lot of the portion of the match that Undertaker's never tapped out. He's never tapped. If anything... I, I mean, I guess it doesn't really make you look strong, but this would be the perfect time for him to tap out or at least pass out. I think this is the perfect time for him to, you know, really lose by submission in some way. I think if you were going to do that, especially right before Mania, you would need some Mark Henry interference. And I think that would lead to a bigger feud uh, for The Undertaker and Mark Henry uh, going into Mania. Uh, you know, he gives him a world's strongest slam or something while the ref is uh, knocked yeah. out and uh, he passes out uh, due to the ankle lock, whatever it may be. Um, I think there's different ways that you could have gone about this finish. But again, I don't think it takes away from the match that much. I, I enjoyed the finish. I like finishes that come from out of nowhere. Yeah, because I think it adds a sense of reality to sure. the matches. So, mm -hmm. you know, with Kurt Angle in trouble in the Hell's Gate and all of a sudden he just flips over. Like what a great counter. Yeah. And he got and he caught one on Taker and Taker. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it was like confusion on his part. I think it was disbelief. And right. I think he was mad at himself. Ah, this, he got me, you know what I mean? And yeah, that's a good point. So I, I think that's where it could go. I, I think this is an A match as well. Like <laughs> this match was fantastic. Two of the best doing what they do best. There's a reason why these guys are both first ballot hall of famers. Yeah. And I think that this match, and I, like I said before, perfectly exemplifies 
why we're doing this show. This is a classic match that people need to see. Totally. And we need a classic person to be inducted into our honor roll. The best part of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Let's hear it. I I mean, you could look at a couple people like Kurt Angle had a strong showing with his promo work. Taz for his holy shit. Michael Cole was really good. But at the end of the day, holla holla player. He's got to be a triple threat, handicap, elimination, <laughs> survivor series, undertaker. That's my worst Teddy Long impersonation of all time. But Teddy Long, he is going into the honor roll this week. There was he's, never nobody else could do it. He's going to put the honor roll in a tag team match, and maybe he'll go up against the undertaker player. We got a Hall of Famer in the honor roll. I love it. It's going to be a tag team match, handicap match with the classic <laughs> match classroom and the Titan Tron against Counted Out with Mike and Tyler player. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, good stuff, man. Good stuff. And that takes us to the end of The Undertaker versus Kurt Angle and the end of our little fun No Way Out uh, memory trip that we went down there. But it is the beginning of a new season. Mm-hmm. And we talked about a little bit earlier wrestlemania cue the linda mcmahon oh oh <laughs> wrestlemania so we got about a month about what four four or five weeks worth of wrestlemania coming your way here some of the biggest matches of all time we're gonna do something a little bit fun we're gonna kind of go generational here mm-hmm. so we're gonna start you know back in the hulkamania era we'll skip ahead to the new generation we'll do a little bit of ruthless aggression we're going to let you guys maybe vote on, uh, on on one as well this year. Yeah. But we're going to start back in my day. We're going all the way back to WrestleMania 3. Next week, we're going to talk about perhaps the greatest Intercontinental title match of all time. We're going to go into great detail about your Intercontinental champion, Macho Man Randy Savage, defending against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Pontiac Silverdome, 93,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the perfect way to start off a WrestleMania, uh, our little mini series that we have going on here. Got to start with the greatest match of all time. I, I cannot wait. Maybe I'll even bring out the, the oh. costume once again. This is our second time watching some Macho Man. I cannot wait for it. First time watching some Ricky Steamboat too. So it's gonna it's gonna be a good one. This whole. Uh, the next four or five weeks that we have going on, we've got some Golden Era, New Gen, Attitude Era, uh, Ruthless Aggression. One week, we'll even let you pick a match for us from WrestleMania. It's going to be a fun time. This is the perfect, perfect time to jump on the Classic Match Classroom bandwagon. Yeah, do that subscribing stuff and liking and all that stuff. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> you can you find know. all of the... Uh, yeah, all of the social medias around us if you're watching on YouTube. But if you aren't watching us on YouTube, first of all, go do it. Second of yeah. all, you can go ahead and follow us at Classic Match Classroom on Instagram, on Twitter at CM Classroom, not to be confused with with, with what, Tyler? CM Punk. CM Punk himself. Uh, and uh, Just a t-shirt waiting to be made. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yes, uh, we have so much going on in the next few weeks, and you got to jump on the bandwagon while you can. I jumped on Cincinnati's bandwagon. You can jump on the Classic Match Classrooms. And uh, also, make sure to check out the return of the Titan Tron. Fantastic work you did on uh, on your return with the little Mean Gene-inspired event center there. I love that very much. Thank you. And, thank uh, you. Big things going over at uh, Count It Out with Mike and Tyler. Uh, we just recently had Tyson Kidd on the show. Uh, we're going to have Mickey James joining us next week. And uh, the Mountie, Jacques Rougeau, also coming on the show. So lots of big stuff going on over there. Excellent. Excellent. And on that note, I think there's only one thing left to do. Do it. And that is to tell you that for this week, 
Class has been... A dismiss.